Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks for being with us this morning, Jay, Jamie, Emily, Britt. Thanks for leading us in worship. We had a good time of prayer this morning before we even started. Sound check, and it's been uh, just a great morning of worshiping God together. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. We've been all year looking at a series that we called Encountering Jesus. We intentionally started that at the beginning of the year and let it take us through Easter as we could watch in the Gospels Jesus interact with different kinds of people. We tried to put ourselves in those shoes and see what would that have been like for us? How do we identify with some of those people? And what do we learn about Jesus Christ through watching his interactions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And then we let that take us all the way through the resurrection and the work of Jesus on the cross and him rising up from the grave to conquer sin and death for us. And since then, we've taken a couple weeks to look at what happened after that, interacting, encountering the resurrected Lord Jesus as he did with his earliest disciples, and then last week, the very first encounter with the Holy Spirit. That all sets up where we hope to go from now, really, and through the end of the summer, August-ish. We're going to do a series on discipleship. It's got a really catchy name called Discipleship. Uh, I'm not the most creative person in the room, in my family. I mean, no matter how small the room is, I'm not the most creative person in it at all. But we're going to do a series on discipleship. And now, initially, you may go, really? <laughs> discipleship? Or, or maybe you don't even know the word discipleship. Maybe you were raised in church and you've heard discipleship and you immediately think of a class. Maybe the church, if you grew up in church, maybe there was a discipleship class or discipleship training. Maybe you're new to church and you're thought, I've never heard the word discipleship in my life. Now, I hope this morning that we all see that discipleship is for us, right? Discipleship is not for Christian special forces, okay? Discipleship is not for a select few of us. Discipleship is not only for the all-stars. And, and here's the truth about discipleship. You actually already are a disciple, whether you know it or not. The only question is, what are you a disciple of? So we can't help, we're hardwired to find meaning, to find purpose, to worship, and to aim our life at something greater than ourselves. We're, we're hardwired to do, we cannot help it. Now, the question is, what are you aimed at? Because that's what you're a disciple of. Whatever the thing you most want in life, whatever the thing you can't live without, you're a disciple of that thing. And here's why, because that thing controls what you do, what you think, how you act, how you spend your money. That thing is discipling you. We submit ourselves to discipleship every time we log on to social media because we're being shaped by ideas and posts and thoughts and blogs and the news. We're submitting ourselves to discipleship discipleship is all around you. It's kind of like the fish, the two interactions between the fish, the older fish and the younger fish. The older fish swims by and says, how's the water? And the younger fish looks at him, go by and turns to his friend and says, what's water? The older fish had been around and he knew they were swimming in water and the younger fish didn't know yet that that's what he lived in. You're already swimming in discipleship every day whether you know it or not. The only question for your life is, what are you a disciple of? Who are you a disciple of? And at Shaliford, we hope, it's actually a part of our mission statement, 
that we exist to make disciples who find their life in Jesus. We make no bones about it. We already know you're a disciple, but we want to make you a disciple of Jesus so that you find your life in Jesus. And so if you're thinking about that and you're buying into this idea that we're all disciples, but you, we want you to be a disciple of Jesus, I hope you want to be a disciple of Jesus, maybe you're asking, what is a disciple? On the round table in the back, we've got little business card size uh, cards for you to take home, and it's got a verse on there. You've heard us maybe talk about this verse before. We talk about it often, but it's Matthew four nineteen. In the book of Matthew, this is his first, Jesus's first interaction with his disciples, and he approaches some of them who are fishermen. And here's what Jesus says: This is in your handout. And Jesus said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Now we take Matthew four nineteen, and we try to pull out a really simple explanation of what a disciple is. And what discipleship is. A disciple is following Jesus. He says, follow me. But then notice the next little phrase Jesus says. He says, I will make you. A disciple is being changed by Jesus. Jesus is making us into someone. And then the last phrase, fishers of men. A disciple is joining Jesus on his mission. It's not our mission. It's first his, he's been doing it. He says, I came to seek and save the law. So a disciple's following Jesus and being changed by Jesus and joining Jesus on mission. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at Matthew 4.19. And this Sunday, we're only going to look at those first two words, follow me. And we're going to talk this morning about the invitation of discipleship, the invitation of discipleship. And we're going to ask three questions. They're on the back of your handout. If you got a handout this morning, if you didn't, I think they're on the table in the back. The first thing we're going to ask about discipleship is who's invited? The invitation, right? It's an invite. Follow me. Well, who, who's invited to follow Jesus? We're going to ask who, who is it that we're following? Okay, Jesus. This, this is a time when the Sunday school answer Jesus is right. But what does that really mean that we're following Jesus? And then three, what does it mean for me? Like what's required of me? This invitation, right? We, we, we just got invited, Carrie and I, we graduated high school together. We, we've been invited to our 10-year high school reunion this spring. Like, what's required of me to go? A lot of humility. One, we got to pay so everybody else can drink a lot of alcohol. Two, because it's at like a bar, brewery, I think, and it's like a really high charge to go. And I'm thinking... They're making us pay to go to our reunion that I already don't, you know, I'm, I'm a little nervous to go anyways. Like, what's, what does this invitation require of me? You get a wedding invite. Something's required of you there. You got RSVP. If you go, you're going to have to dress a certain way at the wedding. I mean, th- there's some requirements that come with an invitation. We're going to look at these three questions this morning, all about the invitation of discipleship. But it's all revolving around this simple ask that Jesus made in Matthew 4:19. So let's pray and let's dive into God's word and let's see what we can learn about the invitation of discipleship. Father, your plan is amazing that you would ask us to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Not just come sit in the stands and watch, but actually be a part of it. And God, your plan to send Jesus to prove One of the reasons Jesus came was to prove that you don't stand far off, but you come close. You want intimacy with us. You want to know us and to love us, and we're thankful for that, God. So I pray that as we hear this morning, as we see in your word the invitation of discipleship, that we would be challenged to follow you, 
to leave everything else in our life and truly follow you. So God, would you send your Holy Spirit this morning to give us knowledge of who you are in our hearts? Would you send your Holy Spirit into our hearts this morning to compel us to the right response of seeing who you are? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So our first question this morning, who is invited? Who is invited? I kind of like subtitled this section in my sermon notes, the qualifications for discipleship. Maybe you hear the word discipleship and you immediately start thinking of rigorous rituals, a lot of discipline. Maybe your mind goes like my mind jumps to a military context. And I've always, my whole life, I, I never fooled myself into thinking I could make it in the military. I'm so thankful for our military and our armed forces. I've never once believed that I'm tough enough, strong enough to do any of that. I just, I just don't think I've got what it takes. But, but maybe your mind goes there with discipleship and maybe you think like me about the military. I just, there's no way. I mean, all that's required to be a disciple, there's no way. So what are the qualifications to be a disciple? Well, first, I want to make us look back at the, the series we just stepped out of with Encountering Jesus. If you missed those, you want to go back and check those out, we've got them on our website, on YouTube. But look at who Jesus interacted with. Look at who he interacted with in the Gospels. Fishermen who were by no means at the top of the social status in the first century. Tax collectors. They were kind of like traitors in a sense. Many of them were probably Jewish in background, but then they were working for this, uh, this Roman power that had moved in and taken over. So you got tax collectors who were just hated. Then you have this category. I love this. Sinners. You see that in the Gospels? It's like the religious leaders are like, he hangs out with sinners. As if there's only some. <laughs> that, that should make you laugh a little bit when you read that. But there's sinner. He's hanging out with like what all kind of sins were they in? Well, well, there's some guesses you can make based on some context, based on some historical understanding. But just sinners. Jesus hung out with the sick. He hung out with the suffering. He hung out with, catch these two. On the one hand, religious leaders, like he would go to have feasts with religious leaders. Like we, we like to preach that he hated the Pharisees. Well, I mean, he's God. I don't know that he hated the Pharisees. He had some of his strongest words for them, but he would still eat meals with them. But then he would also interact with even the Roman military. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking of when he, the centurion. I, I mean, I'm thinking of the way that he healed there. He interacted with men, with women, especially with children. He constantly used children as an example of what it meant to enter the kingdom of God. So we can look at Jesus' interactions in the Gospels. We can look at all the different kinds of people he interacted with. But let's hear it from Jesus' own words. Look at, uh, there's two passages where the word for word is the same thing. Mark chapter 2 verse 17. And then Luke chapter 5 verses 27 to 32. Kind of tell the same story from Mark and Luke. But here's Jesus' own words. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Did you catch that illustration Jesus just made? Look, if you're not sick, you're not going to the doctors if you're sick. I don't know if, if your kids have ever done this when they were little. Our kids, anytime anything happens, I need to go to the doctor. 
you know, I, I need I need to go to the doctor. I'm like, well, you don't really go to the doctor for that, you know, whether, whether it's like a bump or like their head hurts or something, you know, I, I need to, I need to go to the doctor. No, that's we don't really go to the doctor for that. You're going to be okay, I promise. You're going to survive and move past this. But there's this sense in which Jesus is using a, a simple illustration like that to tell people, listen, why do you go to the doctor? Well, you go to the doctor when something's wrong. You go to the doctor when you're sick. You go to the doctor when you're seriously hurt. And he's saying, if you're well, you have no need. You have no need to go to the doctor. But those who are sick do have a need. And so he's saying, in the same way, I came, I didn't come to call the righteous. Notice the tongue-in-cheek kind of statement Jesus is making here. He's like, look, if you're righteous, you've already got it figured out. You don't need me. I didn't come for you. You've got it. You're already righteous. What do I have to offer you? You're, in the illustration, you're well. You're not sick. She says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, I came to call sinners to myself. The qualification for discipleship is that you recognize your own need for Jesus. The qualification for discipleship is that you are needy. It's that you humble yourself. That you see yourself not as righteous, but as a sinner. Not as having your whole life put together, but as seeing your life for what it really is, not put together at all. See, we tend to think the qualifications for discipleship is that you're, you're smart, you're strong. See, Jesus wants to use the biggest, the brightest, the best. And Jesus says, no, it's the opposite. I've come only for those people that are humble enough to admit that you have a need in your life. So today, if, if you're wondering, can I really be a disciple of Jesus? He's not looking for you to prove yourself. The NFL draft was just this week, and these guys went, have gone through a lifetime of training. And then over the last four to six months, they've gone through pro days where they would showcase their abilities and their speed, their height and their weight, their strength. They would showcase all of their, their skills and their gifts, playing football, all these different ways. They would showcase all that. And then this Thursday night was the draft. The number one overall pick was from Cartersville, Georgia. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. These guys were tested and inspected. They were interviewed. They were given uh, intelligence tests. I mean, they were looked top to bottom, inside, outside. What kind of leadership abilities do they have? They were looked over more than you could even imagine a football player being looked over. And then teams made picks based on what they saw. They wanted the best. And there's a theory in the draft. Do you take where you have a need at a position, or do you just take what's called the best available. It doesn't matter if I need a wide receiver or not. This guy's clearly better than everybody else. I'm taking him, right? And so that, now let, let me tell you something about Jesus. Je Jesus is the opposite. Jesus isn't asking you to have like a Christian pro day where you show off all your talents and Jesus, do you see what all I bring to the table? Do you see how good I am? Do you see how all these things I've got put together? Do you realize Jesus, I could, hey, I know I'm not gonna say this, but I could tithe a lot. Hey, Jesus, look, I, I think I could really do this for you. Jesus is saying, no, 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 none of that. I've come to serve you and to save you. The only thing that qualifies you to be my disciple is that you need me. I've heard it said that you don't bring anything to the table for your salvation. Well, actually, there's one thing. You bring your sin to the table. That's it. The qualification for discipleship is that you are humble enough to admit your needs. So who's invited? The sinner's. All of us, 
We're all invited to be disciples of Jesus. That leads us on to the next question. Who are we following? Who are we following? Well, we know the answer is Jesus, but what does that mean? See, the invitation of discipleship is not the invitation to embrace a strategy for living. Now, here's what I mean by that. When you're saying, yes, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, it's not like we give you a 12-step program to follow. That is the key to unlocking some greater success or fruitfulness in your life. Discipleship is not saying, hey, if you can unlock the code of living a certain way, then everything is going to be better and you're going to get what it means to follow Jesus. Discipleship with Jesus is about a relationship to a person. And as we all know from having different kinds of relationships, a relationship is not just about a strategy. You know that if you're married, right? Now you can put habits in your life you can put rhythms in your life, and I hope you do. I hope you have a rhythm of celebrating things like anniversaries and holidays and Mother's Day and Father's Day. I hope you have some of those anchor points in your marriage. And if you're not married, I hope you have some of those anchor points in your life where you know the relationships. You're going to call each other certain times. You're going to talk certain times. But if you're really honest about your relationship, you know it's not just about the strategy, right? You know those things aren't the meat and potatoes of your relationship. What makes a relationship genuine and and authentic are the spur of the moment things that prove how close you really are. I I remember when Don passed away a few weeks ago, I had a missed call from him. And I thought, that's strange, Don called me. It was like 7.30 in the morning. And so we were walking out the door to go play outside. So I went outside and I came back and had a voicemail from Don. I thought, okay, it must be urgent. And I checked the voicemail and it wasn't from Don. It was from uh, Betty's friend, Don and Betty's friend, Lori, calling from Don's phone, saying, hey, Betty wanted me to call you, and she told me what had happened and told me what was going on and said, I'm, I'm here with, with Miss Betty, and I'm just, I'm just helping. I'm just here. You know, I've got her phone, and, and I think Al texted Miss Betty not too long after that. I picked up the phone and called Al, and, and it was actually Lori that responded there. And I just thought, you know what? That, that's a perfect little microcosm of relationship. Now, they could have had all sorts of things where they talked this time every year, they had dinner once a week, but guess what? Their relationship was proven that in the hard time, you drop everything and you're together. Discipleship with Jesus is a relationship like that. It's not just about having the disciplines and the rigor of I do the same things all the time and we have these traditions and I have these strategies for living. It's about intimacy with Jesus. Discipleship means intimacy with Jesus. I want to point you to just a few places in scripture where we see this. Look at John 13. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. So shockingly humble from the king of kings and creator of the universe that Peter tries to stop him and, as usual, puts his foot in his mouth doing it. Jesus says, would you just let me love you? That's what this whole thing has been about, Peter. I want to love you and serve you. In Mark chapter 9, look how tender and caring Jesus is to this father of a boy that has some sort of epilepsy and has seizures, but it seems like it's caused by some sort of demon possessed, some evil spirits in this boy. But notice how tender and how caring Jesus is because when he sees the father, Jesus knows what's happening. But when Jesus sees the father, he says, how long has this been happening? Did Jesus need to ask a question there? I don't think so. But Jesus cared enough to ask this father a question. How long has this been happening with your son? 
And when you see the answer of the father, you realize he was begging to be asked because he doesn't just say 13 years. He says, well, since he's a boy and it's often thrown him into fires and he's gotten hurt on it. And if you will, I mean, can, can you make him better? Jesus is tender and caring to this hurting father who's hurting because of his son's condition. Jesus loves him, moves, forward, moves toward him with tenderness. Matthew chapter 8. Look at how Jesus interacts with a leper. While everyone else in society is moving away from this contagious leper, Jesus moved towards him. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. And the text is very specific. It says Jesus touched him. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, then you were contagious with their leprosy. But here's the beautiful part of Jesus. When Jesus touches you, your sin's not contagious to him. His holiness is contagious to you. That's really good. I grew up under a pastor that if he would say something good, he'd say, that's a good place to say amen. And sometimes he would say, hey, I'm glad I came this morning. That's good. See, your sin's not contagious to Jesus. It's not like he catches your sin. He wants intimacy with you, so he draws close to you because he knows he can't catch what you've got. But he knows you can catch what he's got. So he moves towards you to touch you. He moves towards a leper to touch a leper. Listen to Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. There's a double negative, so bear with me and we'll explain it. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. If double negatives don't make sense to you, let me rephrase. We do have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, here's our words, draw near. That's discipleship, drawing near to Jesus. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, maybe I quote it every single time I'm on the stage. Come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus' invitation to discipleship is an invitation to be with him. Be with Jesus. So disciple, who are we following? We're following Jesus. So discipleship means intimacy with him, but it also means it's discipleship for every aspect of our life. Discipleship is all-encompassing. He did not design you to follow him in certain compartments of your life and to keep others for yourself. That's not the intention of discipleship, but the intention of discipleship is to let Jesus invade every moment of your life, every area of your life, every dark corner of your heart, let Jesus in there. Don't try to get it cleaned up first. Just let him in. Boy, I'm, I was raised in church. I was guilty as a kid for so long of compartmentalizing that like I go to church on Sunday, I go to church on Wednesday and live however I want all the other times of the week. And I've got news for you. That's not discipleship. That's not being a true follower of Jesus. But discipleship is for all of life, for every aspect of life. There's never a moment, because it means intimacy with Jesus, there's never a moment that Jesus is not with you. So is, is there a prayer that Jesus doesn't hear? Is there a sin that he won't forgive? Is there a sickness he won't heal or, or a suffering that he doesn't share with you? Is there a wound that he won't mend? Here's a good one. Because he was fully man. Is there an emotion that he doesn't understand? Is there an emotion you have day in and day out, weekly, monthly, yearly, 
you've not invited Jesus into because you're afraid he won't understand it? Is there anything about me? Is there anything about you that he doesn't care about? Jesus gives us leadership and rest and wisdom and purpose and grace and love. And it means he leads us in all of life, even into death. See, we're followers of Jesus, right? So Jesus even goes to the place of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are you worried God's forsaken you? I'd invite you to tell Jesus because Jesus has been in that place. Are you facing something as permanent as death? Maybe you identify with Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. I'd invite you to bring that to Jesus because he's already been there. See, we're, we're terrified of death like a kid is terrified of the dark. What does a parent do? A parent walks in and turns on the lights and says, nope, you're good, nothing here. And Jesus walked into death and turned the light on. There's no aspect of your life and no aspect of your death that you have to fear if you follow Jesus. Because like a good parent whose child is scared of the dark, Jesus walked right in and turned the lights on and said, no, hey, you could, no, come on, you can follow me in here. This is a safe place too. Scared to die? Let's go. I'll go first. And walk right in and walk out the other side. That's how sure it is that we can follow Jesus in every aspect of our life every aspect so discipleship is an invitation to bring all of our life to jesus it's not just a list of disciplines you have to follow or rules you have to keep it's an invitation to have a relationship with jesus for every moment of your life now the last part of this message about discipleship we've been working on matthew 419 follow me those two words follow me the last question is, what does this invitation mean for me? What, what does it require of me now? What does this all-encompassing nature of discipleship mean for me? And, and I've got three things for you. First, I have to humble myself. I, I put that in the first person because, I, Johnny, I have to humble myself. The first step is to just recognize that I qualify. Like this is the kind of test you may not want to qualify for because it's one of those tests that tells you how bad you are. A couple months ago, I get a text from my sister like, hey, I think we all qualify for the vaccine now. I was like, what? She said, yeah, one of the things is that you're overweight. It's like, oh, I mean, this wasn't just to me. It was to our whole family, the assumption that, hey, we all eat a lot of meals together. We, we probably all fall in this category. Hey, I don't know if I wanted to qualify, but I've never been so happy to be considered overweight, right? I, I got my vaccine. I got my, got my second one a couple weeks ago. I feel like I'm talking about a dog, like I have all my shots. And that's fine. You know what? I'm fine if you don't get the vaccine. I'm fine if I don't get that. That's not what I'm here to talk about. That's, that was one of the tests I didn't want to qualify for, right? And maybe, maybe discipleship is one of those you don't want to qualify for because you don't want to admit that you have as much need as you have. But the first step you're going to have to take is humble yourself and admit that you need Jesus. Do, do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you see that if you're the, the king or the queen of your life, your life cannot possibly end well? Because you can't go ahead of yourself into death and see yourself out the other side. 
Do you realize that? You, you can't. You recognize that you can't fix yourself? You can try. Oh, you can try. But you really can't fix yourself. You cannot fix yourself. See, we're all in the same boat. And the only difference is that some of us admit it. So the first step, if you're going to take Jesus up on this invitation to be disciples, you've got to humble yourself. Now, here's the second step. I need to humble myself, and then I need to deny myself. Now, what in the world does that mean? We debated putting another memory verse card out here from Luke 9. Jesus talks about taking up your cross, denying yourself daily, and following after him. What does that mean to deny myself? Well, in these passages we talked about earlier in Mark and in Luke, in almost all of the Gospels, we see this word used when the gospel begins to be preached and Jesus begins to call disciples, repentance. Repentance. What does it mean to repent? It means you are going one way and you stop, you turn around and you go another way. You stop what you were doing and you turn and you go a whole new way. You repent from what you were doing. But repentance, that word and that idea helps us see what's required of us in discipleship. It's not enough for me to just admit I'm a sinner and then I need Jesus, but then keep doing everything I've been doing my whole life without Jesus. I've got to admit, I've got to humble myself and admit my need and then turn away from the way I've been living so that I can turn towards Jesus. We have to turn around. We have to deny the things that we think we really want, deny the sin in our life. We've got to turn away from those things. See, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived in the 40s and was actually executed in Nazi Germany because he tried to carry out an attempt to assassinate Adolf Hitler. But he was a theologian. He was a pastor. And he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And here's what he famously says in this book. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. We must deny ourselves. But that's, a, that's one side of the coin. When we repent and we turn around and we deny ourselves, we turn towards something else. So if, we humble my, if I humble myself, if we humble ourselves, if I deny myself, then the last, I've got to give myself. Give myself to Jesus. We don't just accept a gift from Jesus and then bid him farewell. Right, maybe that's salvation to you. You think, man, Jesus gives me this gift. He gives me eternal life. He gives me hope beyond the grave, and I'll see him then. That's not, there's no category for that in the scriptures. He is both our Savior and our Lord. That's part of my story of coming to know Christ. I was raised in the church, and I thought, like I said earlier, I could compartmentalize everything. But when I was 14 years old, I was getting ready to go into high school. It was the summer camp. I had just finished eighth grade. We're at Panama City Beach. And I remember my pastor's preaching, and I don't remember much about the sermon. I don't know what text he was in, but I remember him saying the phrase, take the whole loaf of Christ. talking about Jesus being the bread of life. Take the whole loaf. And what convicted me in that moment from God was that I had not taken the whole loaf. I had tried to take bits and pieces and parts that I wanted. And I tried to leave the rest. I tried to take the pieces of Jesus that I thought I wanted to apply to me, and I tried to leave the hard stuff on the table. But what I recognized that night in June of 2007 was that I couldn't just take a part of Jesus. I had to give everything to him. I had to give myself over to Jesus and let him truly be the Lord of my life. Let him take over everything about me. There are no offers for just a better destination after death without first giving your life to him on this side of death. 
So this is the other side of denying myself. If I'm going this way and I deny myself and I repent, I'm turning away, I'm denying the things that, the kingdom I wanted to build. I'm denying my own will of the things that I thought I most wanted in this life and I'm turning to what? To give myself to Jesus. This is a, to keep going from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's quote earlier. Here's what he says about following Jesus. He says following Jesus is costly grace. And here's what he says. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace. Deny myself and give myself to Jesus. It is costly. If you're gonna be a disciple, it's costly. You're gonna have to deny yourself. You can't follow your heart. You can't follow your instinct. You gotta follow Jesus. But it is grace because you are following Jesus. And if that's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, I think the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says it much better. This is Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 2, and we'll read through verse 11. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. He's saying we are the true Jews who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And then notice where he goes here in verse four. Though I myself have a reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he lists his religious resume. That's what's happening here. Philippians 3, 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now here's our discipleship verse, verse seven. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Did you hear what Paul said? Whatever gain I had, whatever direction I was going, whatever life I was building for myself, whatever sort of Paul's kingdom I had going on, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Not for the sake of a different set of rules, but for the sake of a relationship with the one who died to give me life and now who promises to lead me and guide me every moment of my existence. He says, I count it all as loss. 
to the question for us this morning. Are we willing to humble ourselves, deny ourselves, and give ourselves? Because that's the invitation of discipleship. And if we're all honest, without Jesus, things aren't really going that well anyways. But Jesus offers us in discipleship a path of life, not just a better destination, but a better moment-by-moment existence where you get to know your creator. So as we, over the next few months, talk about discipleship, I want you to know that this is the invitation of it. The invitation is for you to come and follow Jesus. You, you are invited. If you'll just humble yourself, you're invited to follow Jesus. If you'll deny yourself and repent of your sin and repent of your life without Jesus, and then you'll give yourself to him. You, you can be a disciple. It doesn't require anything else. He's not requiring you to be a certain level of strength or have a certain knowledge of the scriptures or have certain sins under control and certain things, you, you know, certain things we'll forgive and other things you gotta figure out before you come. That, that's, not, that's not it. That's not the invitation. The invitation is come. When I was a kid, we used to sing the invitation song, come just as you are. We sing it so much, I became numb to it, but now it comes in my head every once in a while and I just sing that to myself thinking, that's the gospel, come just as you are. Come to Jesus and find life and come to Jesus and find a life of discipleship. So this morning, it's the first Sunday of the month, so we're gonna take the Lord's table. And as you're invited to come to Jesus this morning, it's gonna become really tangible in just a minute because we're gonna sing a song. And during that song, you're gonna have the opportunity to come up here and take the cup, take the cracker. It's prepackaged. We didn't put COVID on it. It's safe for you. You can eat it and drink it. But what you're invited to do is if you know Christ, you're invited to come and take one of these cups and one of these plates. Take the cup, go back to your seat, and don't drink it yet. Go back to your seat and sit down. Pray, think on these things, give thanks to Jesus. And then we're going to come back up here and we're going to read in 1 Corinthians what it means to take the Lord's Supper. And here's what it means. When you take the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. You are saying, Jesus, I take this cracker, this bread of life, knowing that you are the bread of life, knowing that your body was broken for me and my sin. And then we're gonna take the cup of the juice and we're gonna say, Lord, I know that this may just be juice 2,000 years later, but I know you poured your blood out. Your blood was shed for me. And when we take this, it's a celebration that Christ died for you to pay for your sins in full. And this is a celebration for Jesus' people to make. But if you've been listening to this sermon and you don't know Jesus yet, I would invite you to come to know him this morning. I would invite you, instead of coming to the table to grab a cup, come to me or come to Pastor Al. Because the juice and the cracker means nothing to you unless you've truly tasted the bread of life. And the blood of Christ has really been poured on your record of sin and you've been forgiven. So this morning, I'm not making the invitation. Jesus is making the invitation. We call this the Lord's table because it's for him to invite. 
And now here's what we just learned this morning. You're invited, but something's required of you. So as you take this this morning and as we read in just a minute from the scriptures to take it, I hope you remember that this is a call to discipleship. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, nothing could make me happier than to pray with you and introduce you to the one who made you and who loves you deeply. So, Jay, come on up. I'm going to pray. And Jay's just going to play and give you a chance to come up here and take one of these and go back to your seat. We're not going to sing right now. It's just going to be some light music just so you can spend some time with Jesus. I'm going to be standing over here. Pastor Al is going to be standing over here. If you want to come and pray, please come and pray with us. But come up here and grab the cup and go back to your seat. Have a seat. And we'll come back up and we'll read the scriptures. Don't take it yet, but let's take it all at the same time in just a few minutes. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you invite us to follow you. I mean, you really want us to be close to you. I pray that we would take you up on that. So God, this morning, I pray that you would call people to yourself. Maybe there's some of us in this room, God, that we've not been living as disciples and we need to repent of sin in our life and turn back to you, Jesus, and say, Jesus, take over my wretched life that I can't build for myself. But God, maybe there's somebody in this room this morning that has never put their faith in you. I pray that you would awaken them this morning. God, you talk about salvation as being so radical that it's like going from death to life. I pray this morning that you would give life to anyone in this room who has never experienced new life in Christ. Lord Jesus, would you save people this morning who need you? And as we celebrate the Lord's table in a few minutes, I pray that you would encourage all of our hearts that without you, Jesus, we are nothing. But because you made the ultimate sacrifice, we have life with you forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. So come, take a cup, and then go back to your seats.